please take a Bible and turn with me to the Gospel according to John, uh, chapter 1. We're looking this morning at verses 35 through 42. John 1, verses 35 through 42. In, uh, in these verses, uh, we have the first recorded uh, spoken words of Jesus in John's Gospel. Uh, three things he says in this passage, and I think each thing that Jesus says is packed with significance. Um, he, uh, he first of all asks a question and then extends an invitation and, and then gives uh, Simon a new name, renames him. So we have a question, an invitation, and a renaming. That's what we're going to consider together this morning. Uh, John chapter 1. Verses 35 through 42. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The next day, again, John, it's John the Baptist, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. One of the things that I think we are going to appreciate more and more as we work our way through the Gospel of John together is just how careful John is, the way that he put this Gospel together. Another thing I think we're going to appreciate as we study the Gospel of John together is how often when Jesus is in conversation with someone... They understand his words at a a kind of superficial level. (laughs) But often Jesus means so much more. And I think that's the case in these first three sayings that we have from Jesus in this passage. And it's surely no accident that the way John has organized his account is with these first spoken words of Jesus. What are you seeking? Those are the very first words we hear Jesus speaking in John's gospel. And and another way of, in fact, some people translate the question this way, what are you seeking? They'll translate it as, what do you want? What are you after? What are you looking for? 
Those are some of the most important questions of Christian discipleship because it, it drills down to the level of desire, what we want, what we really want. And I'm convinced that this story is meant to disciple us at the deepest possible level, at the level of desire. And by, by his word, this is what I want us to appreciate today, we, we cannot read this account, this story, as distant bystanders. It's not how this is supposed to work. By his word, Jesus continues to ask the very same question today. What are you seeking? What do you want? What do you long for? What are you after? What do you desire? That's really how we need to hear this question. Jesus is addressing us, asking us, what are you seeking? We'll come back to Jesus' question, but there's something else I think we need to, to see first. When, when John the Baptist stood with the two disciples of his, Andrew and uh, we believe that the other was John, the author of this gospel. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now something to pause and appreciate here. I think one of the things that, that John is wanting us to understand is that Jesus' appearance on the scene was not a flash in the pan, out of the blue kind of thing. Um, you remember, John the Baptist is the last great Old Testament prophet sent from God to prepare the way of the Lord. John, John was on the scene to, to tell people, the Lord is coming to visit and he's had these two disciples who he's been training and, and teaching and instructing. And, and now, as, as the, the, the promised one is there in the flesh, John the Baptist looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And these two disciples begin to follow Jesus. And as the story unfolds, we know that Jesus personally calls these two men to follow him and eventually calls them to be apostles. Apostles. Eyewitnesses of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one of the things, this is just an aside today, but I want you to appreciate this fact, dear brothers and sisters, that we can have firm confidence in the claims about Jesus Christ because this is not something that came out of nowhere. This is not something that was, think about how different this is from, from other religions. Take the Quran, for example. Revelation, you know, given in a cave with no means of verification. This is something God had been promising, saying he was going to do for hundreds and hundreds of years. He appointed a prophet to prepare the way. That prophet trained disciples that prophet then handed those disciples over to the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus appointed those men to be his eyewitnesses. And on the basis of their eyewitness testimony, we receive the claims about the life, death, and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. We can have firm confidence in the claims of Christian faith. But again, come back to this story. Behold the Lamb of God. And these two disciples leave John the Baptist and begin to follow Jesus. That language of following, we, we need to appreciate, that's, that's discipleship language. Literally, they began to walk with him. They began to, as it were, study under him. They began to learn from him. Even the language of discipleship is closely linked here to the language of abiding. They, 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 they began to, in a sense, live with him. And John is helping us to understand that to be a Christian, to be a Christian means to follow Jesus. Now, we're, we're going to learn a lot of other things about what it means to be a Christian in the Gospel of John. A Christian is someone who's born again by the Spirit. A Christian is someone who believes in Jesus. But one other part of the picture is a Christian is someone who follows Jesus. And to follow him is to learn from him and joyfully obey him. As these first disciples begin to follow Jesus, they, they make knowing him, learning from him, serving him as the great aim of their lives. Their, their lives are, are radically reoriented, recentered around this single individual. Not an abstract idea, not a philosophy, but a person. Now, sometimes, sometimes people identify with Jesus for, for you know, varying reasons. Maybe, maybe because they like certain aspects of his teaching. Or may, maybe they, they see uh, identifying with Jesus as you know, an opportunity for some kind of community or, or whatever. But then, but then they spend their life pursuing all kinds of other things, following all kinds of other ideas and, and things. And, and the reason we have the stories of these first disciples is so that we understand from the get-go that following Jesus really means giving our lives over to him. It really means trusting him, listening to him, doing what he says, having his word abide in us. So that we learn to walk in his footsteps. See, to be a Christian is to follow Christ. And that means you know, bringing, it, bringing it home. To, you take this and apply it to yourself. It means he is my master. He, he's, he is my teacher. He sets the agenda of my life. He defines who I am what I do, what I am for. He determines, he determines how I treat others, how I relate to others, okay? How I talk to my mom and dad, how I talk to others at church, how I relate to my neighbors, what I do with my time, what I do with my resources, how I spend my days, what I do with all of my Stuff, how I think about myself and life and death and the world to come. He defines it all for me. That's what it means to follow him. Okay, so again, with following Jesus in mind then, 
Come back to the question. Come back to the question. What are you seeking? What are you after? We should really hear this as Jesus looking us square in the face and asking us that question. What are you after? What are you seeking? You know, you're here in church. You, you could be somewhere else. Now, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe you were brought, maybe you didn't have a choice. But you're here. What do you hope to find? Jesus is asking us that question. It's the question he asks everyone. What are you looking for? Now, again, there's a lot of things people look for by going to church. Some are looking for, you know, a little bit of religion, but, you know, not too much. <laughs> um, sometimes parents are looking to get their, their children some moral instruction. You know, I don't want my kids to grow up to be monsters. So maybe, maybe a little bit of the, the teaching of Jesus would be, would be good for them. Again, I think I said a few minutes ago, sometimes people might just look at the church as, as, a, as a connection for you know, social relationships or whatever, a place to belong. But what, what, about, what about you? Do you, have you? Have you thought through this? What am I seeking? What am I after? Do you ever reflect upon your desires that are driving what you do? Some of you know. Some of you, some of you have been found by Jesus and, and you want to, no matter how imperfectly, you, you want to follow him. And you're, you're here because you, you want to worship him. You want to know him better. You want to serve him more. You want to be equipped by him. But, but maybe some of us, if, if we're honest, we aren't really clear on what we're doing. <laughs> Why we're here. What we're doing even more generally in, in our lives. We're just kind of going with our gut day by day, moment by moment. And, and maybe, maybe you're here because, well, you know, that's what my family does on Sunday. We go, we go to church. But I think, I think this question is intended to rouse us from our indifference. What am I really looking for? What am I going after? He, Jesus goes straight after our hearts, you see. What are you hoping to find? If, if it's an affirmation, you know, of everything, everything you already think and everything you already want, let me just tell you up front, Jesus isn't for you. And don't, take me the, don't take that the wrong way. But if, if, you, think, if you think Jesus is a kind of, a kind of religious... Uh, well, how do I put this uh, so I'm not misunderstood? A kind of baptizer of your already assumed beliefs and practices. Jesus is not the one you're looking for. If you're, but if you're looking to know, if you're looking to know who you are, if, if you're looking to know what you're for, if you are genuinely looking for a, a place to belong in a family that will never end, if you're looking to really know God, if you're looking to have your sins taken away and your life radically realigned, 
Jesus is the one you're looking for. Have a look at the second thing Jesus says. The disciples say to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, where, where are you staying? Seems like a pretty straightforward <coughs> question. And Jesus gives this kind of mysterious response, doesn't he? Come and see. Come and you will see. It's a, I think it's a strange, a strange way to respond. Because he, he could have just said, oh, well, I'm you know, down, down the way, a mile and a half or so. Take a right and you'll, you'll find me there. But instead he says, come and you will see. And this is not incidental language, okay? This is tapping into an invitation that we find throughout the Gospel of John to come and see. These are words that we'll find in the very next passage on the lips of Philip after Nathaniel asked him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. And so you see, there's more, there's more to the reply than just an invitation to come and check out Jesus' accommodations. There's, a, there's an invitation here to see what might be on the other side of your seeking. And we'll see this time and time again in John's Gospel. Jesus, people think Jesus is talking about you know, one thing on a kind of superficial level, but in reality, he's saying, he's saying so much more. They ask Jesus this simple question, where are you staying? And Jesus says, Come and see. See what you will find. See what you will find if you follow me. You see, Jesus' words challenge us not only to think about what we really want. They get us to think about whether we are really willing to find out who he is and what it means for our lives. The significance of following him or the significance of denying him see this is not only an invitation it's a it's a kind of challenge ask again ask yourself the question do i really want to know who jesus is do i really want to know do you really want to follow him wherever it may lead you i wonder have you have you ever deliberately, consciously committed yourself to working out who is Jesus and what does it mean for my life? A lot of people hesitate to do that. So people balk at that, especially, especially I think, in a culture where people, people like the idea of being spiritual, but it's you know, it's spirituality on their terms. They, they determine what's true for them, what's good for them. They, they ask the questions, and they're always asking the questions. You, you know the kind of thing I'm talking about? I wonder if, you, if, if I'm making sense. We, we live in a culture where spirituality is little more than another pursuit of self-discovery and self-actualization. We write our own religious stories, picking and choosing whatever works for us. And I think Jesus' invitation turns that on its head, doesn't it? He invites us to come and learn from him. And he invites us into his story, which is really the story that makes sense of absolutely everything, including our own lives. 
These two disciples, again, Andrew and, and likely John, who wrote this gospel, they may have thought that they were asking a pretty basic question about where Jesus was staying, staying but Jesus goes deeper than that. Do you, really, do you really want to follow me and see where it takes you? Do you really want to get to know who I really am? You see, some people, some people like to keep things with, with Jesus at a, at a kind of safe distance. Like to stay superficial in our spirituality. They, they may be fine with asking questions and, and maybe even debating spiritual things ad nauseum. Maybe asking objectionable questions like, you know, how, how can a good and sovereign God allow so much suffering? Can I really trust the Bible? How can you say that Jesus is the only way in the midst of so much religious diversity in this world? Doesn't Christianity promote violence? Aren't Christians just a bunch of bigots and on and on and on? We could go with these kinds of questions. And, and some people just stay there. They, just, they park the bus there, always asking questions, not really seeking answers, and without ever committing themselves to seeing where following Jesus might lead them. Now, of course, let me, let me be clear. Some people have sincere questions, and those questions deserve answers. But I'm talking about something different. A lot of, a lot of the time, the constant questioning is just a kind of smokescreen, right? Hiding the fact that people simply don't want to follow Christ. They don't want to see where it will take them because, because we, we love, we're infatuated with personal freedom. Personal freedom that Jesus will later say is a form of slavery. But we, we, we don't want Jesus getting involved in our business. We want to be free, radically free to do whatever we want. They don't want to submit to Jesus and give up their pretended lordship. But however, however we're responding to Jesus, you see, the invitation and the challenge is, is here for us. Come and see. Come and see who Jesus is. Come and see what God has done. Come and see what he has accomplished by laying down his life and then taking it back up again. I wonder, are, are we all willing to follow him and see, see where it takes us? Jesus is infinitely patient. Jesus is infinitely patient with those, however imperfectly, but sincerely are seeking to follow him. Think, think about his own disciples. How slow they were to understand. How often they got it wrong. And just think about how patient and gentle Jesus was with them along the way. He has all the time in the world for people with sincere questions. But he has no time. He has no time for people with hard hearts who think that they are calling the shots. I think it's right to say Jesus stiff arms the proud who think that he must answer to them. That is not how it works. I want you to ask yourself, 
this question. Have, have I ever really followed Jesus because I want to see the things that only he can show me? I, I, and I, I mean, follow there in the full sense of discipleship, as we talked about it earlier. Whatever the cost, whatever has to change, whatever relationships might be lost, whatever I have to turn from so that I can truly follow him, whatever I have to let go of so that I can take hold of him, Jesus' invitation stands. Come and see, and you will see wondrous things. You know, one of the, one of the things Jesus says that his disciples will see in the next passage is angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. And this, this promise of heaven and earth connected, you know, going all the way back to, to Jacob, Jesus is saying, that is being fulfilled in me, and you're going to see it. You're going to see it. And there's one more thing. We're, we'll come back to Jacob's ladder in the future. There's one more thing Jesus says in, in verse 42. Uh, here we have the, <coughs> the calling of Andrew and Peter. And I think there's, there's something I should try to clarify here uh, before we look at what Jesus says. Because some of you, uh, some of you might wonder, well, how, how does this story square with Matthew and Mark and Luke and the accounts we have in, you know, we call those the synoptic gospels. How, do, how does this square with those accounts of Andrew and Peter being approached by Jesus on their boat? Okay, is that that's clicking with some of you? Because it seems like there's two different stories here. And so what's, so what's going on? Right? I, I, the, the story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have... Uh, Andrew and Peter going about their daily business as, as fishermen, casting their net. Jesus comes and says, follow me. They throw down their nets and say, so long, Dad, and go with Jesus. That's different than what we find here in John. Um, so so what, what gives here? How do, we, how, do we make, how do we make sense of this? And I think it's just important for us to recognize the Bible does not contradict itself. And these two accounts are not in conflict. In fact, they make sense of each other. I think the story we have here in the Gospel of John is the story of their initial association with Jesus. But the other Gospels are telling us about their special calling to be a part of the Twelve and serve as his apostles, Christ's apostles. And I think that makes a lot of sense because, again, in the other Gospels, Andrew and Peter are just, you know, doing their thing, fishing, and, and Jesus walks up, and it seems so abrupt. Hey, guys, follow after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they put their nets down, and they say, you know, well and good, so long, Dad, and they're off following Jesus. Doesn't that seem, that seems rather unlikely if they didn't know Jesus at all prior to that, doesn't it? Makes a lot more sense if John is telling us about their initial encounter with Jesus and the other Gospels tell us about when Jesus called them to be a part of the Twelve. And so these two disciples, and Andrew and I think, I think we're, we're talking about John, um, the author of this Gospel, 
Andrew, uh, he goes and finds his brother Simon and said, we have, we have found the Messiah, the Christ. And so he brought Simon to Jesus. And now take a look at what Jesus says. This is the third thing Jesus says in our passage. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now you've got to just stop there and appreciate the awkwardness of that, right? It's pretty weird, isn't it? Do you, ever, do you ever meet someone for the very first time and say, oh, your name's Brian? Well, we're not, we're, your name now, it's going, to be, it's going to be Thomas, right? I, I hope you don't ever, you know, greet someone at church that way because they'll probably never come back, right? Okay, so we have to appreciate the strangeness of this encounter. When you, when you first meet someone, you don't rename them. So what's going on here? I think it's highlighting two things. I think it's highlighting the authority of Jesus and the transformation that Jesus intends to work in Peter's life. All right. Now, think about it. Naming in scripture. It's an exercise of authority, isn't it? You know, Adam as vice regent image bearer, given the task of naming the animals. Think about how often God himself does this with individuals in, in scripture at important moments to, to, to rename them and indicate something of their identity and calling. Abram, Abraham, father of many. Uh, uh, think about Jacob, Twister, to Israel, one who strives with God. <laughs> and here, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus assumes that kind of divine prerogative and renames Simon as Peter, Rock. <laughs> and I call you Rocky, okay? Now what's, what's, what's interesting about that is if you read the Gospels, Peter is anything but stable, and reliable, right? And, and you know, sturdy. He, he think about it. He, he walks on water and then sinks. He's the one who says, "Jesus, you are the Christ." And then immediately we discover that his whole understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah is wrong, and Jesus has to rebuke him. Peter's the one who said, "Jesus, I will, I will stick with you no matter what. I will die for you." And then one little servant girl asks him, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's denying Jesus again and again. See, at least at first, Peter is anything but steady and reliable. But, but see, with, with this name, Jesus is telling Peter the kind of man that he is going to make him to be. This is the transformation that Jesus is going to work in Peter's life because he's come to know Jesus. He will, he will not remain who he once was. He will be changed. And, and his new name is a mark of his identity. And if you want to see whether that transformation ever really took place, then just read the book of Acts. And while, while we don't get, you know, first new names when we become Christians, when we begin to follow Jesus, I, I believe Peter's experience 
teaches us something that is true about the Christian life in, in general. That when you begin to follow Jesus, you need to understand that one of the things God is absolutely committed to doing in your life is changing you. Changing you in all the ways that sin has distorted you. Doesn't happen overnight. It's not like the flip of a switch. But he is calling you to be something you were not before. He will remake you. He will change you. And, and sometimes that, that change process is, is slow. Sometimes it's sore. It certainly was for Peter. But Jesus was committed to working in Peter and through Peter. And the same is true for us. So again, there's a lot, there is a lot packed into these first three sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus, with his first spoken words, gets straight to the heart of the matter, which Pastor Dave is always reminding us is the matter of the heart. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you after? And he extends an invitation. Come and see. Come and see where following me will take you. And in the renaming of Peter, he indicates what he intends to do in the life of anyone who comes after him. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus and someone who's being changed by Jesus, renewed by his grace. So again, we need, to, we need to hear the question addressed to us. What are you looking for? What are you after? Is it pleasure in the here and now? Is it, is it just the, the, the perpetual satisfaction of bodily appetites? Is it just following your heart wherever it may lead you? Or are you seeking success, temporal security, status, then let's just be real. Jesus isn't what you're looking for. Jesus isn't what you're looking for. If you're looking for your own ideas and desires to be baptized, Jesus isn't the one you want. But again, as I said earlier, if, if you want to know, if you want to know who you are, if you want to know whose you are, if you want to belong, if you want to know God, if you want to have your sins taken away, washed clean, Jesus is the one you're looking for. And he says, come, come and see, and you will see marvelous things. Jesus promises to show you things you haven't seen and make you into something you haven't been to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, would you, would you please cause each one of us to seek after, to truly seek after what is truly life. Align what we want with what you want for us and enable us to truly follow after Christ. We thank you this morning that he is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. He is the Christ, the anointed king who rules. May we know the power of his kingdom in our lives. And may we all know the joy 
of following him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.